Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Think ID. My name is Pablo Lavatina. And I'm Williams Monier. And today we're going to be continuing the conversation on the most common bacterial infections. Last week we talked about gram positive bacteria. So this week we're going to be discussing 11 gram negative bacteria. And they all fall under a family called Enterobacteriaceae, except for three of them. So there's an easy way to remember them, and that's what we hope you guys get out of today's episode. We learned an acronym from one of our professors here at NSU, and it goes, shh, keep the peace. So shh, keep the peace? Yeah, except that shh is written a little differently. It's How spelled S S S H. And what does that stand for? Those are Serratia, Salmonella, Shigella, and Haemophilus influenzae, also known as H-flu. Okay, and what about KEEP? So in KEEP, the two E's don't stand for anything, only the ah, K and the P. Okay. They stand for Klebsiella pneumoniae and Proteus. Okay, and what about peace? And what type of peace are we talking about? So this is like world peace, like oh, peace out. not like Reese's Pieces. Right, no, this is like peace out. Okay. They stand for Pseudomonas aeruginosa, E. coli, Acinetobacter, Citrobacter, and Enterobacter. Gotcha. All right, so let's get right into the first one then. Serratia or Serratia, depending on where you're coming from. Wait, wait, from. wait. We should mention the three that aren't oh, part of that Enterobacteriaceae. Right. bring it back. Yeah. Okay, so the three that aren't part of the Enterobacteriaceae family are? Are called, the acronym is HAP. Okay, and what does that stand for? It's for Haemophilus influenza. Okay. Acinetobacter and Pseudomonas aeruginosa. So the H from sh and then the P and the A from, from peace. peace. Exactly. Cool. So awesome. remember, three, those three are not part of the Enterobacteriaceae and all the other ones are that we'll okay. be discussing today. All right, so let's move forward then. Serratia, and again, serratia, depending on where you're from, this is commonly found in the respiratory and urinary tract of hospitalized patients. Infections occurring in the hospitals are actually referred to as nosocomial infections. For this particular organism, they present as catheter-associated bacteremia, UTI, and wound nosocomial infections. Then there is salmonella. There are two main types of salmonella that we'll be discussing today. S-typhi, which everyone knows to be causing typhoid fever, and then S-enterica, which causes gastroenteritis and presents with diarrhea, fever, vomiting, and abdominal cramps. Yeah, so actually yesterday I heard about a recent like recall that they had on that cake mix, that brand like Dunkin' Heinz or something. Dunkin' Donuts? Cake no, mix? no. Like the cake mix that you buy like anywhere, and it's the Dunkin' Heinz brand. It's that, that red box. Okay. But yeah, they, were, they recalled it because of salmonella. So hmm. be careful because I think you can get it from like eggs and things like that. So. Oh, yeah. I hear if you don't um, refrigerate your eggs well, you might. I guess some salmonella. So it's a common one because I've heard it other times, but recently I heard about this one. Okay, so then the next one is going to be Shigella. This produces dysentery, which is just another term for infectious diarrhea. Awesome. So now we're going to talk about Haemophilus influenzae, also known as H-flu. So this organism is the number two most likely cause of respiratory infections. And like we mentioned earlier, don't forget, this is the first of our HAP acronym, which what was HAP the acronym for, Williams? HAP. Um, this is the organisms that are not part of the Enterobacteriaceae family. You got it. Okay, the next one is Klebsiella pneumoniae. This is one of the bacteria that is most likely to have the ESBL enzyme. 
ESBL stands for extended spectrum beta-lactamases, and this enzyme allows the bacteria to cleave beta-lactam antibiotics, hence making them resistant to these antibiotics. Gotcha. This bacteria also causes uh, hospital respiratory infections, and hence you can jot it down as another one of the nosocomial bugs. Duly noted. So, how can you know if you're infected with this organism? Well, there's something very obvious that will happen that gives it away that it's Klebsiella pneumoniae. Uh, patients usually cough up a really red mucus. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So who's most likely to get this infection? So actually, alcoholics are more prone to this infection um, due come? to... Yeah, so after like heavy binge drinking, they may throw up and they haven't the chance to aspirate. And this oh. aspiration can then lead to a Klebsiella-associated pneumonia. Wow, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. All right, the next one we're going to move on to is Proteus. There are two main types of Proteus, Proteus mirabilis and Indopositive Proteus. The Indopositive Proteus usually only target the immunocompromise and mainly cause things like UTI. Meanwhile, the Proteus mirabilis causes UTI and wound infection. What's important about these organisms is that they break down urea into ammonia and ammonia is a base, and hence the pH of the urine will start to increase, making it more alkaline. Wait, Meth so can we use methanamine to treat this UTI? Methanamine is commonly used for UTI because it's an antiseptic. However, proteus are intrinsically resistant to it because methanamine needs acidic urine in order to work. Mm, good to know. Yeah. So what exactly does intrinsically resistant mean? I know you mentioned, you said that. Intrinsically resistant, I did mention that. <laughs> it means that bacteria are inherently resistant to the antibiotic without being previously exposed to it or without needing a specific enzyme for resistance or without needing a specific gene for resistance. Got it. So in the case of the proteus, they're resistant because they normally just so increase... They just have it. They normally just increase the pH of the urine. So then obviously methamine is not going to work since it needs that acidic pH. So it's like in their nature. It's like part of them. Okay, so now we're getting into some serious business. Oh, the next gosh. one is Pseudomonas aeruginosa. Where do we even start with this one? Yeah, so this one's pretty bad. You don't want to have this, but it thrives in moisture and most often affects immunocompromised patients and as well as those with damaged tissue. It's actually the number one cause of nosocomial infections, so much so that one out of 10 of hospital-acquired infections is due to Pseudomonas. Mm, Got to put it at the top of my list then. Yep, to not have it. <laughs> <laughs> Things I don't want to have. <laughs> yeah. This is another one of the bacterias with intrinsic bacteria, with intrinsic resistance, like Williams just mentioned. However, even more so because it employs several pathways to develop resistance. One, it lacks permeable porins on its envelope, preventing antibiotics from passing through. And two, it has efflux pumps for those antibiotics that do make it through. And to top it all off, that's why you're going to put it on top of that list, is it's multi-drug resistant. Wow, that really sucks. So who do we see this bacteria mostly in? That's a great question. So cystic fibrosis patients, as well as burn victims, are more likely to have this infection. Lastly, one thing to, to note with this one, it is the P in our HAP acronym, which again, the HAP acronym is for you guys to remember the three exceptions of the bacteria that are not in the Enterobacteriaceae C family. Finally, not finally, we still have more to go, but we're moving on to our favorite guy, E. coli. 
So E. coli is actually the number one cause of UTIs. Interesting. So would you say that most UTIs are caused by E. coli? Yeah, actually most are caused by E. coli. E. coli accounts for around 80% of all UTIs. All right. But doesn't E. coli usually hang out in the intestinal tract? It does actually hang out in the intestinal tract. So how tract. does that work? Well, it travels from the intestinal tract to the urinary tract because the rectum is so close to the urethra. Ah, that explains why it's the number one cause of UTIs then. Exactly. One thing to keep in mind about this bacteria is that there's different types of E. coli, and depending on which, they can cause moderate to some pretty severe infections. Cool. So now we're down to the last three, Acinetobacter, Citrobacter, and Enterobacter. So Acinetobacter is a bacteria that can cause life-threatening infections in the immunocompromised. It is a frequent cause of nosocomial pneumonia since it's associated with patients on lung hardware. So that could be lung ventilators or any other sort of respiratory assisted machines. And this bacteria is known to acquire up to 45 resistant genes. Jesus. Yeah. So which is why if we just said Pseudomonas aeruginosa was a multi-resistant bug, this is a super multi-resistant, multi-drug resistant bug. Also, this is the A in HAP. So once again, not part of the Enterobacteraceae family. Okay. Next one is Citrobacter. What we want you guys to know about this one is that it really causes UTIs and infant meningitis. And then last but not least, Enterobacter is our last bacteria, and this one causes opportunistic infections also in the immunocompromised, such as respiratory and urinary tract infections. Okay, so there are actually some unique bacteria within the keep the peace mm. that we want to talk about. And these are called the spasum bugs. Spasum? Yeah, like the, the word space, like you're in outer space, and dash M. M. So okay. spasum. Cool. They're unique because they carry a beta-lactamase gene known as AMP-C. This gene is activated usually when the bacteria is exposed to first, second, and especially third generation cephalosporins since these antibiotics induce the expression of this resistant enzyme. All right, so what does spasum exactly stand for? So spasum stands for Serratia or Serratia, Pseudomonas, Acinetobacter, Citrobacter, Enterobacter, and finally Morganella morgani, which if you remember, it was one of our endopositive proteus. Right. We'll be going into more detail about beta-lactamase and other genes for resistance in the future episodes. Awesome. So the last thing we wanted to mention was to encourage everyone listening to mention in the comment box anything you'd like to hear in upcoming episodes. So if you recently heard about something, your friends told you about something in class, you want to review something, just let us know in the comment box and we'll try to incorporate it into one of the episodes. Yeah, just put it down in the comment box and... It'll be coming right up. It's like Burger King. Have it your way. Have it your way. Unless we don't know anything about it, then it's not going to (laughs) happen. So before we bug out, here are some infectious news. A new study being conducted by Mount Sinai investigators. They're developing a novel nanotechnology-based organ acceptance therapy. So this is a new immunotherapy for organ transplant recipients that's offering that long-term organ acceptance without the dangerous side effects that many of the immunosuppressive drugs that we currently have on the market uh, are known to cause. Damn, that's pretty awesome. Hopefully this will really change the game for um, the organ transplant patients. 
It really is. So for those of you guys that are interested in this study, the link to the article will be in the notes section below and you're more than welcome to check it out. So that's it for our general coverage of the gram negative and their infections that they're most commonly associated with, as well as an introduction to spasum and some of the enzymes that allow for resistance. So that's it for this week's episode of Think ID. Until next time, bug you next week. week.